Welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. And Candice Lepage. And Peter Salmon. And yes, that is the whole panel joining us today, because uh, it is the 200th episode of End Credits, and uh, maybe the panelists can... Uh, like silently applaud uh can i see that on my screen because we should have like a studio i I wish i'd queued up some music in advance like some nice like party music and um well maybe fireworks some fireworks (laughs) well it is oh tim has a horn (laughs) i have a new year's horn how annoying this will be on radio (laughs) yeah that was that was pretty annoying All right, let's go to the intro. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies. Uh, But this week, though, we are going to do our top five of the first 199 episodes of the show. So we have all gone to great lengths, um, or not, to prepare our top fives. of the show uh of the movies we reviewed and i i say this um outright first i have the competitive advantage having seen all the entries the panelists have chosen the top five of the movies that they have reviewed on the show so they have a much limited selection um so this is going to be i think very very interesting uh but to kick things off And again, I wish I had prepared the sound effects in advance. Maybe I'll add them in post. But I've prepared this... (laughs) I have prepared... Who invited him? He's just... He's been with the show the whole time. You can't get rid of him. Anyway. um, (laughs) I've prepared a quick uh, three-question trivia contest. Now, I describe briefly... A movie we've reviewed on the show, and it'll be up to the panelists to guess which movie I'm talking about. And in a surprise bonus, there may be more than one right answer for a couple of the entries. So, uh, first person to raise their hand gets the first guess. So, question number one. This blockbuster movie, the third in a trilogy made by a director experienced in spectacle and featuring a screenplay by Chris Terrio is widely seen as a profound disappointment because it's trying to please too many people while correcting some creative decisions in previous chapters. Any guesses? None? (laughs) I thought I was making it too easy. No one has a guess. I mean, you could take out the Chris Terrio part and it could be... um... Whatever that last Star Wars movie was. Okay, Candace, you get the point because, yes, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker was one of the two possible answers. Justice League was the other one. So. Well, none of us watched that movie for reasons. It came out. I had to watch. I reviewed the Justice League, right? Or you no, reviewed no, 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 Zack Snyder's Justice League. Justice League. I the, the most yeah. recent, yeah. <sighs> technically, I guess, the Justice League. <laughs> Sounds I think like it's like a memorable movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number two. 
This movie about two loving families spins a complex yarn about class warfare and the way society can turn people against each other for just the chance of getting slightly ahead of the next guy. It starts a it starts as a comedy, pivots to being a thriller, and takes a sharp right turn into full blown horror. And Candace, you had the guess. Um, yeah, except that I can't think of the actual title, but it's uh, uh, Bung Jong Cho, right? I got it. <laughs> All right, Tim, you go. You have the name of the movie. <laughs> Parasite. Yes. Yeah. Parasite. So that's one point for Candace and one point for Tim. This will determine. And I should say, Peter, this, this question was maybe built for you. Uh, question number three. This movie is about climate change. One man can solve it. He has all the answers. If only the people in power will listen to him before it's too late. A complex cabal of people who, like the status quo, stand in his way of saving the Earth and creating a bigger, brighter, environmentally friendly tomorrow. Well, I forget the name of it, but the Al Gore one. So an, an inconvenient sequel? Yes. Yeah, that, was, okay. that was one of two possible answers. Well, the yes. other one was Geostorm. <laughs> now, that was I a also... right there. That was a true, true work of art. <laughs> I think Peter should just get a point for having watched Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's like a pity point. Yeah, it was it was not good. I also All right. watched it just for giggles. I watched the black and white version. So it was, yeah, I watched like the most edited version ever. You watched it all the way. You watched four hours in the black and white. Yeah. It's all, right. all right. I, I take my pity point away. <laughs> you're just you're trying to self-destruct, I think. <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep the pity point, though, because we need a tiebreaker. So um, Peter wins uh, with two points. Candace gets one and Tim gets one. So, Peter, since you won the uh, apparently bad trivia contest that I spent all of 10 minutes creating, uh, you get to kick us off with your number five of your top five of the movies you've reviewed on the show. So take it away. All right, so number five for me is uh, one of our most recent ones, Jasper Mall. And uh, I'm just a really documentary guy. I like the like that jam, and uh, there hasn't really been any great ones recently. A lot of them are Netflix miniseries and have to do with trial murders and just different things like that. So it was really nice seeing more of a uh, one in a very calm setting and calm plot line. And I just I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I love I absolutely love malls. It was just a chill uh, look at malls, and that's. That's my jam. I love the film Mallrats, too, and it was just like a documentary of that kind of nature, you know? And I also found him to be, like, the Tiger King. I found them very similar, but the Tiger King, he didn't have a heart, you know what I mean? Whereas in Jasper Mall, he's he's got a lot of character, but he really is, he's a nice guy. Um, and I, I liked his wife being a, a part of it, too. It was just, it was just nice. It was a really nice film, very warm, and uh, a well-done documentary, too. The, the graphics were amazing. I think... Um, the, the final shot where it's just him doing the whole, uh, like, cafeteria, just mopping the floor. That was really well done. He was a strong guy. So, yeah, Jasper Mall, numero five. The thing I remember about that last scene is that he kind of, like, mic drops that one of his Domino's players died. You're just like, oh, yeah, one of the Domino's players died off screen. <laughs> yeah, and he was, like, a main character throughout. Yeah, he gave him a good condolence, though. like that. Yeah, no, it was a good send-off. All right, so we're going to work backwards through the the batting order. So, Candace, what is uh, your number five? Yeah, so um, this was tough, and I will say uh, right off the top, um, I'm going to come off sounding like a like a real basic person, I think, with my 
list because there's a lot of um, blockbusters, but it's simply because, as everyone knows, um, genre movies are sort of my go-to, especially the genre movies with social commentary. Um, And there's also potentially some recency bias in my list. Uh, So um, I had four that were ready to go. And that number five slot was hard. I had to really look through all of my different picks and I chose to get rid of the recency bias. I decided I was going to go with it. Chapter one, which was a couple of years back that, that we reviewed that. And so one actually was it year one. Wow. That was, that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it chapter one, I think, uh, and this was before I started my my recent um, my own personal self destructive behavior of reading every single Stephen King novel chronologically. Um, so I have recently rewatched it, uh, which was always one of my favorite books, and of course the miniseries. And so this film had a lot, in some ways, going against it, because it's such a well loved um, property for for one or both either the book and the miniseries or or just the miniseries a lot of people really liked it. So it had a lot of a lot of ways it could have gone wrong and we've all seen a lot of ways the Stephen King adaptations have gone wrong on screen. Uh, and this was just a really well done. It was um, Andy Muschietti is obviously loves Stephen King and was able to sort of lovingly craft the right tone and understand what the story was about without having to hit necessarily all of the same story beats that were in the book or or things like that. Um, It was, I mean, casting was superb. The, The actors for the young kids were all great. Many of them have gone on to really good things and some were already, Finn Wolfhard, for instance, was already quite popular to begin with, but, um, many of them have gone on to, to have really great careers. Um, I mean, it's it's sort of disappointing that chapter two uh, fell so hard from from chapter one. Um, but I think it's okay. I think you can like one half of a of a story and just leave it there because in a way, you can think the story ended. It had a satisfying ending as it was. So I think it chapter one uh, is, yes, probably amongst amongst my favorite films we reviewed. Yeah, fair enough. I think it you can look. At it chapter one is a complete story on its own. Um, you can assume like Pennywise was never heard from again, but uh, that's not what happened. Anyway, uh, Tim, your number five, please. Yeah, so my number five is very recent as well. My number five is Sound of Metal, um, directed by Darius Martyr. Um, it's my number five movie it might not have been my best review because I remember reviewing it and I was having a COVID depression at the time and I was saying, this movie's a real downer. I don't know if you want to watch it at this time, but uh, <laughs> it's a great movie. And uh, the more I thought about it, I just, just understand what a, what a great film it, it is. You really feel empathy for the lead character, um, who uh, played by Riz Ahmed, who's just masterful in his performance of somebody going deaf and how it just comes on so suddenly he's a metal drummer and all of a sudden he's having these hearing problems which he just ignores for a day or two then suddenly he's losing a large percentage of his hearing 
and it's just totally disrupting his life. And it's such a such a moving performance, and you really feel like you're part of his life. And just with the sound design and everything that that surrounds him, you feel like you're immersed in in you're actually losing your hearing. You're a metal drummer losing your hearing. It's very very immersive film. And I also I know during the review we talked about the supporting actor performance by Paul Racy, and I thought he was just brilliant as the uh, deaf recovering alcoholic who takes in Joe in the uh, in the rehab clinic that he's put together for other other deaf people, and he's just just amazing. And it's an amazing story in real life too. That actor, I think he's seventy two years old. He's done, he said, the largest audience, he does theater, the largest audience he played to is like 99 people in Los Angeles. He's done a lot of bit roles in movies, you know, those one-line uh, bit roles. Uh, and he's just amazing. I think just such presence, him and Rizamad, brilliant. And uh, yeah, if I had to do it over again, I would talk more about the brilliance of the movie and less about being depressed due to COVID and how you should... Maybe watch it if you want to, but no, no, that's uh, yeah, that's my number five. Well, on the on the on the bright side, you can now if if you subscribe to Crave, you can revisit it for free on Crave. Um, yeah, and I was really happy Paul Racy got an Academy Award nomination, even though he was inevitably going to lose because he was up against Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, and Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, so that was disappointing, but I'm glad he got that recognition and it was really cool seeing him at the um at the union station oscars anyway uh so my number five i went kind of basic but i feel this movie isn't basic which is why it's number five but i put star wars the last jedi on my list for number five because i feel it gets a ton of crap shoveled on it to this day four years later um and it is like I think in 20 years, people are going to look back and see it as like the Empire Strikes Back of the sequel trilogy. And it is going to be revered as such. But in the meantime, it's just the performances are spot on. It takes such bold chances with um, the character arcs. Um, Ryan Johnson uh, unashamedly throws away the mystery boxes J.J. Abrams set set up like he doesn't care. He doesn't care who Captain Phasma is. He doesn't care what the mysterious origins of uh, Supreme Leader Snoke are. Uh, he he makes Rey um, like basically she has no manifest destiny. She's a nobody. She's just kind of wandered into the story. He doesn't care about putting that marker on the table. And he, I think he blatantly makes the narrative decision to say that Kylo Ren is irredeemable, which is immediately taken back in the next movie, and I think it's one of the biggest mistakes J.J. Abrams made um, to say that, oh no, Kylo Ren, after like killing his <laughs> the leader he betrayed everything for, and then, you know, uh, you know, went crazy and trying to kill his other mentor. Basically, like, it's about Kylo Ren killing his two mentors, or trying to kill his two mentors. Well, I guess maybe he does in the end, spoiler alert, but the um, the it's it's a bold move to say this character who we're building a redemptive arc for he's not redeemed. Ryan Johnson gets a lot of crap for taking the Star Wars formula and shaking it up like an etch a sketch. Uh, I think it's John Williams' best Star Wars score since the Phantom Menace, and uh, there's a really 
it, there's a really great marriage between the visuals and the action and the score. And it, it is, I think a work of art. Uh, I don't, un- and it, I mean, there are a lot of things that boggle my mind, but it really boggles my man- mind how other people can't see it. So that is my number five, which brings me back to Master Salmon to see what his number four is. Because if number five is Jasper Mall, I can't wait to see what number four is. Uh, number four is actually more of a, a just major one, uh, The Big Sick. Uh, I think that was our first or second year, and I, I absolutely love that film. Uh, I like Michael Showalter all around. I find it, but we reviewed The Lovebirds too, right? His, his work after it. Um, and when I was a young and the Baxter was my jam. I loved, I absolutely loved the Baxter. So it was really great seeing him bring another one back, uh, directorial film and it to get like critical acclaim, right? It uh, it just made me happy as a Showalter fan. And I absolutely love uh, Kumail Nyanji and um, Ray Romano. Ray Romano, I, I, I love him. He's one of my favorites. Um, everybody loves Raymond is, is my jam. Um, it's a little dated now. I don't know if anybody still watches it. It's a little dated now. So it was really um, nice to see Ray Romano doing something present that isn't as dated. Um, and uh, Kumal Nyanji, I had just known him through Portlandia and his you know comedy work, like improv and such. So it was really great seeing him um, have a real eruption of popularity. Um, I, without it, would he be in the upcoming Marvel, right? Um, so I just think it was a really good stepstone for him. And um, I've always liked his wife, too, because she takes part in a lot more of the podcast. So it was cool seeing her um, have a real a good writer's role in it. Um, oh, the one thing, though, it really bummed me out is it, it didn't really win many Oscars. And I just was thinking about that because, like, Sound of Metal, it really it, it won, like, a couple of the more minor ones, but no majors, which was very disappointing. But uh, that's why I'm also glad I'm bringing it up. The Big Sick. Yeah, great work. I still I still laugh at we lost a really we lost a lot of really great guys that day that still makes me laugh um, <laughs> and it, that is also now streaming on crave if people want to check it out um, Candace we want to check out what your number four is so uh, give it to us sure and I just want to to say yes yes to everything you said about the last Jedi by the way uh, which I I think I reviewed that with you um, the last Jedi and Rogue one I would say are my favorite of the new batch of Star Wars films because they are so different from everything else. So, um, all right. So my number four, you know, this is where it starts to get weird because there's so many great films and I feel weird saying that this is like only number four on my list. Uh, but I got to put them somewhere in some order. So, uh, blood quantum, um, which falls into, into some of the recency though. I, I don't think this is really recency bias, uh, it was only a few months ago you probably heard me talk about Blood Quantum <laughs> when we were talking about our, our best of the year. Um, this film was, it w- I mean, it was shockingly gory, which is amazing. Uh, you know, a good, scary zombie film, which is, you know, exactly what you want when you're making a film, but yet also has so much more to say, which I think is also what you want when you're making a zombie film. It might not be what, um, you know, the blockbuster audience wants. They want a popcorn movie where they just go see a bunch of gore on screen. But um, horror is such a great genre to really talk about things. Um, I I really loved uh, also, you know, the, the weaving of animation through this was, was so interesting. And as I've been reading um, a book called Braiding Sweetgrass, which is a book about um, indigenous knowledge and and plants. Um, it talks a lot about 
storytelling uh, and about how the plants tell stories to humans and humans, you know, uh, are the people who tell stories to each other. And as I'm sort of reading through this and thinking about Blood Quantum and those animation parts in the middle, which is really where the storytelling, you know, the elder storytelling is sort of happening. And it's such a, you know, I realize now it's like, oh, that's why those sorts of scenes were so um, visually different because they were they were literally being told in a different way rather than us being part of the action. We were just sitting back and listening to a story told for those sections there. Um, and so it's great. It's it's great that uh, you know Jeff Burnaby was able to weave so much of himself and his tradition and his his culture into a brutal, scary horror zombie film. Kudos. Uh, yeah, Blood Quantum. Actually, in Big Sick too. If I had a second five, the, both of those movies would probably be on it. So, um, I guess that's a spoiler alert for the rest of my list. Tim, help me out. What is your number four? Uh, thanks, Adam. My number four is Lean on Pete, a movie about a boy and his horse. Um, I saw it at Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto, and when we when we went, my wife and I were directed to a packed theater that had a diverse audience, and an MC stepped up and started talking about Tupac Shakur. And my wife turned to the guy next to her and said, is this Lean On Pete? And he just started laughing. And then we realized we were in the wrong theater. <laughs> so we walked down the hall to the other theater, and there were literally four other people in the audience to see Lean On Pete. And I think that says something about the movie. It really was unheralded. Not too many people saw it. I know, Adam, you and I, I think it was on your top five that year, and it was on my top five. And it's just, uh, it's just a, it's a great film um, showing a, a young boy and the poverty he's going through, um, just his rough upbringing, and how he finds an outlet um, befriending this, this horse that's uh, abused. It's a racehorse that's abused, you know, to go faster, go faster. We're gonna, we're gonna kill the horse, kind of thing. And so he he does his best to save the horse. And the actor Charlie Plummer, I'm not sure what he's done since, but he was, I thought he was amazing in that film. Um, and the, what drew me in originally is I saw it on a list, and it said that uh, Steve Buscemi and Chloe Sevigny were in it, and they're. You know, remember them from back in the 90s, and they were in Trees Lounge together. Um, I thought it would be good to see some great character actors, and they did a great job in it, but really Charlie Plummer carried it, and it, and the director, Andrew High, he's a British director, and I think often it's European directors or British directors who really can they have an outsider perspective on American culture, even Canadian culture, and they can see... You know, they can they conceive with that outsider's perspective what what's happening, the poverty people face, the class problems, um, you know, problems with anything, you know, economic, healthcare, anything like that. They can really shine a light on that, and it made me think too because I just saw Nomadland recently by Chloe Zhao directed, and I thought there's like a thin line between Lean on Pete and Nomadland really because Nomadland is very realistic has um a lot of the actors aren't well they're not actors they're real people um i don't know if lean on pete did that as much but they're they're similar in that they're real slice of life something you could see really happening 
And I think Nomadland, you know, it had Francis McDormand, who's a powerhouse actor, leading the charge, so it got more attention. Whereas a movie like Lean on Pete just sort of fizzle, fizzled out um, from a box office perspective. But I think in the years to come, more people hopefully will seek it out. Because I just thought, beautiful, beautiful and sad, and just a great story about about a boy really trying trying to survive in you know, a rough circumstance and befriending this horse. But, great film and uh, i'm glad you had originally suggested it adam because when i that was one of those ones i went through the whole list i'm like what is this and sort of picked it out of a hat and it was a pleasant surprise so thanks all right well perfect uh trees lounge was a deep pull um haven't <laughs> haven't heard any, <laughs> haven't heard about trees lounge in a while uh well, thanks for that, Tim. Uh, my number four pick is The Lighthouse, uh, which is a great uh, two-hander with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson as lighthouse keepers. It is filmed in this sort of freaky black-and-white 4 by 3 frame rate uh, that is sort of immediately unsettling when you're watching it in, uh, on a really big screen like I did up at the Guelph Galaxy Cinemas. Um, it is so immersive. Um, it is fascinating and off-putting in equal measure, uh, and it could have gone so very horribly wrong because it is essentially Willem Dafoe playing the sea captain from The Simpsons, um, but it is, it is so engaging, it is, uh, disturbing, it is fascinating, um, Willem Dafoe, like, just, like, every time he talks... It is funny, but also interesting, and it's, you know, he, he, it's, it's not, yes, it's kind of the sea captain voice, but, I mean, it is getting at the heart of something. He always has something interesting to say. Um, the monologue where he says, like, why'd you spill your beans? It is, uh, it is masterful. It is a masterclass of how you manage to put such ferocity behind an inherently insane line like, why did you spill your beans? It is amazing to watch from beginning to end. And it, and it just like, it's, it stayed with me this entire time. I, 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 I watched it once since seeing it in the theater. Um, I didn't rewatch it for this, but I mean, that's just when I was going over the list, it just immediately popped out and it is, Something akin to a war crime that Willem Dafoe was not nominated for an Oscar. And I would point out this is the same year that Joaquin Phoenix won for the Joker. Um, so I don't know how Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix walks to winning for the Joker. But Willem Dafoe doesn't get a nomination despite the fact he was delivering a monologue while being buried alive. And I'll just leave that there. And I'll have to leave this here because we have to take a break. Uh, We're going to come back with the top three in a couple of minutes. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
So, uh, 9-11. No, I mean, I've always wanted to have a conversation with about it with people. You've never talked to people about 9-11? No, what's your, what's your stance? What's my stance on 9-11? Oh, um, anti. It was a tragedy. I mean, we lost 19 of our best guys. Huh? That was a joke, obviously. 9-11 was a terrible tragedy. And it's not funny to joke about it. Mr. and Mrs. Gardner, please report to the ICU. And we're back, and it is time for us to uh, really lay our cards on the table and uh, get through the top three picks. And so uh, my eyes go across my screen to Peter Salmon, and uh, he will lead us off with his number three pick. Peter, what do you got? All right. Number three for me, Mucho Mucho Amor, the legend of Walter Mercado. I thought it was great. Uh, I just, you know, I love documentaries, uh, as I said, for Jasper Mall. But this one, uh, yeah, critical acclaim and, and gosh darn deserve it. He's just such an interesting character. And I think in comparison to a lot of other documentaries, it had it had the, the Hamilton dude. It had phenomenal people they interviewed about it, right? And I... By Hamilton first, dude, you mean Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yeah, that dude. Um, the Curb dude. Dude on Curb. Um yeah, I just I thought it was great, and uh, I had heard about him, but I didn't know that he was like a plus 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 list in you know Mexico, Latin America, um, and uh, he was just yeah a really um, interesting guy. And I myself I don't like believe in the, like, what he does, but I used to really enjoy it when I was younger. There was it was not him, but they played the one American uh, woman who did it. Um, and when I was like really on like nine or ten, I would just watch it later. Night. It was fun. I loved it. It was great. So it just uh, brought back some of that nostalgia as well, as I'm sure it did for you know all of Latin America and such. Um, and I just I thought it was very well made. I thought it was a great description of his life and a really good. Uh, uh, one of the things that really surprised me was how great the display was for interviews. Uh, I'm curious if he had help making it because he really he really liked making his place look uh, richy rich, and it, it, it paid off. Um, yeah, so that one was just a great doc like Jasper Mall, but I think even more uh, well-made, or at least Walter Mercado is. He's Walter Mercado, right? He's Yeah, I didn't know anything about uh, Walter Mercado at all, and it, it was, uh, I mean, he's a fascinating character to build a, a documentary around, so that was a lot of fun. Anyway, Candace, help me out here. What's your number three? Yeah, so uh, number three, uh, another one that you you heard me talk about uh, just a few months back, uh, and that's Just Mercy, um, which uh, I think I said was my my favorite of the year last year. It's it's interesting because a lot of the films on my list, I've sort of gone through and I've tried to you know, what does best mean? What does favorite mean? How many times have I rewatched it? Uh, and I have not. Uh, rewatch Just Mercy since having seen it the first time because it's a it's a lot like it was I mean I can just sort of think back to it and and still get to the the sort of emotional weight of some of those scenes so you know it, it's just it was it was so well acted so well done and I, I've said this you know in our original review and in in you know just a few months back that just 
the space that was left for people to just sit with what was happening and and feel it. I, I highly recommend this film. Uh, again, so so relevant, uh, uh, obviously, just in general to um, uh, the the justice system and and um, what it's like to be black in America and black in Canada. To be to be honest, uh, and uh, I think everybody should should watch this film and just think on how it makes them feel. Yeah, I don't think it's gotten any less heavy since it came out because I actually watched it a couple of months ago when it was on Crave. And uh, I think it's actually even gotten heavier. Uh, okay, Tim, what is your number three? My number three, Adam, is Maudie. Uh The first time is always special, and this was the first movie I reviewed on end credits with Adam and Peter. Um, it was surprising as well. I didn't know much about the movie going into it. It's a real low-budget Irish-Canadian co-production. Directed by Aisling Walsh, an Irish woman. Uh, it tells uniquely Canadian story of Nova Scotia folk artist Maud Lewis and her fish peddler husband, Everett Lewis. And I just thought Sally Hawkins was amazing as Maud, um, a woman suffering from severe arthritis. And she lives in this tiny house and she finds light through her beautiful, open hearted artwork. And her husband, played by Ethan Hawkes, Ethan Hawke is very domineering, but there's still this sort of weird, weird love between them, but it's really dysfunctional at the same time. And I thought it was a really interesting examination of that relationship. It really affected me on like an emotional level watching it. I think it swept the Canadian Screen Awards, but it's been tough to find. Not a lot of people have seen it. I see that it's available for free on CBC Gem, so... I would definitely, definitely recommend it. Anybody who can see it. And yeah, those performances, they reminded me in what Candace was saying about like movies that just hit you emotionally. Like I've only seen Maudie once and it reminds me of a movie that I thought might be the best movie I ever saw, but I only saw it once. And that was A Woman Under the Influence with Jenna Rollins and Peter Falk. Because I think it's very similar, like just this dysfunctional relationship, yet they, they, they stay together and uh, they're just living a really odd life that from the outside, you'd be like, how can these people live in this tiny shack? You know, how, how could they get by doing this? They did for years. And, uh, and, and some of this stuff about is it realistic or not, they had to shoot in Newfoundland instead of Nova Scotia because Nova Scotia didn't have the right tax credits at the time. So for a lot of Canadians who know the difference between landscape and Nova Scotia and Newfoundland, that can be sort of a sticking point as well but if you can just overcome all that and just just watch it for what it is i think it's just a terrific movie there's there's a surprising amount of that in canada there was a, a ctv show called motive which is set in toronto but they filmed it in vancouver because there were more lucrative tax credits uh so that's a big problem in canada where we can't shoot where we want because some places have better tax opportunities um but yeah uh Maudie, uh, in my mind, Sally Hawkins was always nominated for Best Actress uh, Oscar for Maudie and not for Shape of Water. Not that she isn't good in Shape of Water, but um, she deserved it for Maudie. Uh, my number three pick is Booksmart, the fun Olivia Wilde movie about two girls, uh, two young women. Uh, the night before they graduate high school, decide they're going to shed their 
uh, geeky image. Uh, they have been smart. They have been careful. They have been uh, ambitious. They have won all the honor awards. Um, they have set themselves up for excellent college careers. But they wonder if they didn't spend enough time partying in high school. So they started to spend the last night of high school trying to let loose and hijinks ensue. Um, it gets compared a lot to Superbad, but where it gets it's set apart from Superbad is like it is not mean at all. You know, it's just fun to be around these characters, even like the mean kid characters. Um, I mean, it, it's sort of a a pat element of all high school films that even the bullies are not what you think they are and uh book smart plays into that very well but it none of it none of it is ever mean-spirited it is uh it is a very warm very funny uh very female comedy and and i appreciate that and it at to have seen it on the big screen was a true delight because um this stuff just doesn't get shown on the big screen anymore and that's why i wanted to highlight it so, that brings us back around to Peter for number two. Peter, if you have finished readjusting yourself uh, on screen there, can you give us your number two? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised none of you have uh, picked it yet. Um, or maybe number one, and I'm, I'm ruining that. But uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I thought it was, it was really phenomenal work, and it was one I had not expected at all i hadn't seen any um other films by the director um silenciama i i might not be pronouncing it right but uh i'm looking at the phonetics and i hope that's right um and it was really great it was one i didn't expect at all um and it was just a very uh minimal design you know what i mean it was just uh their house in the area close by um very realistic looking nature not a bunch of you know, set designs and everything like that. And uh, just a really good love story of the two, you know, and a lot of uh, a physical way of showing <clears throat> their love. And I also, in history, have, and I've been to Poland everything, I've focused and I've studied a lot on Roma. And that was, um, I wouldn't say a major part, but it was, uh, they were very much a part of a, a major scene. And it was a such a, a beautiful one. I think the uh, the choreography for the film. There's not even that much dancing, but just just even them walking around. It's just a real, yeah. It's just a real beautiful work of art, you know. And um, yeah, so Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And uh, I hadn't seen either of the uh, two main actresses either, and I really thought that was great. And um, we're getting more of it, but we still are lacking a lot of LGBTQ plus. Uh, inclusion in films and that was that was what this was about and it showed what it was like back in the day you know and uh, how it is still like that in a lot of uh current countries <clears throat> so yeah Mi Lady on Fire. missed my list by that much uh, by that much and uh i also since you brought up portrait of a lady on fire i don't think you can talk about a movie without talking about the cinematography by claire moran um it's just a beautiful looking movie candace number two on your yeah, so uh, the next one on my list um, is a good companion piece to, to Just Mercy for uh, a few reasons, one of which being Michael B. Jordan. Um, uh, so number two is uh, Black Panther. Um, so... Uh, you know, it's funny because uh, I, I've <laughs> we've we've joked about it even even in this episode about the whole comic book movies and you know they're just uh, they become very uh, by the number um, 
you know, it's like uh, fight exposition fight you know it's like a it's it's like it's a written program they have to they have to meet i had rewatched it last summer and it hit pretty hard last summer hit pretty hard the first time i watched it um and then i put it on this past weekend and thought i'd do something else and then like literally within within seconds because that opening scene which is young eric killmonger and his father a uh, little bit of narration talking and it just it just like right away it's like oh yeah yeah i forgot what this movie is actually about it's not it's it's not about comic book superheroes i mean it is if you want to watch it that way but it is about like who has power who had power taken from them what does a person who had power taken from them do when suddenly they have power um, I'll also say that, of course, when I rewatched this film last summer, it was m- mere weeks, maybe even days before Chadwick Boseman passed away. So again, you know, that also hit a little harder watching it this past weekend. Um, it's just, it was, it, I mean, the film was just such a revelation in the midst of what was really kind of a bad run of films for Marvel. So I'm happy to have uh, revisited Black Panther and uh, it's it's number two and pr- probably should be number one on my list. But when we get to number one, I'll explain why it's not. Teaser. Tim, why don't you give us your number two so we can get to Candace's number one faster? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk really quickly here. Speed talk. Um, <laughs> my number two is The Shape of Water. Uh, I think it's the only film film I reviewed that won the best picture and I, I thought at the time it deserved it. I actually watched it about a week ago. It's on Disney Plus and I still still think it holds up. Um, but it really hit me hard that day. Yeah, that day that I went, I was having a rough day, went and saw that movie and I was like, wow, what a gorgeous piece of filmmaking that was. And uh, great, great job by Guillermo del Toro. Um, it's co-written by Vanessa Taylor. And I think it really tells a story of outsiders, which might be a common theme in some of the films I've chosen. You know, obviously Sally Hawkins, who I thought is amazing yet again as a mute woman who falls in love with an amphibian man. And, uh, and uh, who's in the amphibian man's played. I thought, you know, he's got all that, you know, all that makeup, all that, you know, whatever you want. I don't know what you call it. He's got all, he's got all that costume on. But yet you can still see see the the character underneath that. You can really you can really feel some empathy for him for sure. And then um, rewatching it the second time, Richard Jenkins as the uh, the closeted next door neighbor. I thought he did an excellent job in that role. Um, just somebody who's just out, outside uh, a lonely guy, an outsider, you know, trying to go to this pie shop to meet meet the. The man who works there and getting not not getting anywhere with it, not getting anywhere with his career as a, a advertising painter, um, and then even the sadistic Michael Shannon. And I think Michael Shannon, and what I've seen him in, he's an excellent actor. Even you really shouldn't feel anything for him because he's such a evil character. But you realize even he, you know, he has somebody he reports to. He's reporting to this military boss who's really oppressing him in a lot of ways. So it's a really interesting uh, film in that respect. And then Octavia Spencer, as the friend of Sally Hawkins, works and work colleague and 
just the how how she's oppressed as well because it takes place in 1962 so all the you know casual racism sexisms all there on full display and at the end of the day even with all that i think it's just a gorgeous love story of a woman and an amphibian man who would have thought right but that was a beautiful <laughs> love story well my number two uh candace talked about last summer i would like to talk about midsummer uh the uh the, the great um i don't know if you call it horror but it is deeply unsettling anyway um I watched the on YouTube the the Netflix thing came up, but here's what's coming up on Netflix next month, and one of the movies is Midsummer, and uh, just like seeing you know brief clips of it, like immediately t- took me back into watching that in a cold theater, in a summer's day, and just to to be bleached in this constant anticipation for something terrible to happen, and then it does, and then you're waiting for something other something else terrible to happen, and it does. Is it, it is just such a a knuckle buster, I guess. Um, but it's all organized around a great central performance by Florence Pugh, who's a great new talent. Also sucked up in the Marvel machine now uh, to to bring that back to Black Panther. It, it's not the greatest movie to sit through and watch, and you'd be very hard-pressed to say to yourself, I want to watch it again. But it's one of those movies that leaves its mark, and its mark is unescapable. And um, full credit goes to the cast and crew. Anyway, that brings us, finally, to number one. We are coming to the end of our list. So, Peter, your number one is... My number one has already been done. It's been stolen. But, uh, Maudie. I loved Maudie. It was phenomenal. Like he said, it was. I, I just I love the Maritimes and I love her artwork and it was displayed in a really great way when they showed her making it. Um, also, what he was saying with um, Ethan Hawke and what it showed about him, I think it handled the abuse in a very a very well done way. I think it was not the absolute main focus, which unfortunately, from when the film is set, was you know, realistic. He wasn't really doing it in above average. Um, and I just thought it showed how that, how that is awful, um, but incorporated it in, in a realistic way where Maud still you know, loves him and everything and, and how that kind of unfortunately made more sense back in the day. Um, so I thought that, you know, a little small piece about their social aspects uh, was perfectly intertwined with, with the film. And I thought that's the same with uh, everything else. The kid issues, I think they, they dealt with that in a great way. I think they dealt with that in a great way. Um, and... I've never been in the Maritime, so I couldn't tell that it... Well, actually, I was born in Newfoundland, but I, I moved here before. I um, I couldn't really tell the difference, so I think there's a lot of people where that, that won't really matter so much. But I can see, if you are from the Maritimes, well, that would be a real uh, bummer. And like Tim was saying, even though there is some inaccuracies, I think the changes are maybe better for the film. And the film is more just a tribute, I'd say, to Maudie, or just a way to show the aspects of her history that we need to remember and that that is enjoyable too, um, but serious. Um, so all around Maudie, I just thought, I thought it was a really phenomenal biopic and I thought she's an artist that it deserved a, a work centering around her. Yeah. So yeah, Maudie, number one. Well, we did have a crossover. How about that? Candice, you teased us so well. So uh, what is your number one? We're dying to know. Yes. So my number one 
uh, is placed at number one, not because it is better than Black Panther or even better than Just Mercy, but simply because it should have been on my list uh, that we did uh, over the the uh, December holidays about best of the year. Um, for some reason, I just completely did not realize that the film Birds of Prey and uh, the uh, whatever it's called, Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn came out in 2020. Uh, similar to Black Panther in that it kind of really turns the the comic book superhero story on its head a little bit by being um you know filmed by a, a woman director uh all women cast and superheroes um you know the the fight sequences were amazing the um relationship between the characters was so great uh all of the actresses were just uh in incredible um it, it it just it hit everything for me. It was just so much fun. I haven't had as much fun watching a film um, as I did with Birds of Prey since uh, Death Proof, which is also just about a bunch of women who just kick a lot of butt. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just, again, this is where I come back to the whole, like, you know, I, I seem a little basic, but man, it just it just feels good to just watch a bunch of women beating up a bunch of men, and particularly uh, Ewan McGregor, who was amazing in this film. So, just, oh, he was he, he was just so, ew. And I loved it. He was very good at it. So, Birds of Prey is uh, my number one pick of all time, um, simply because uh, it, it deserves more love from me that I accidentally did not give it. All right. Uh, that's what we're here for, fixing mistakes. Tim, that brings us to your number one. What have you got? And I have uh, my number one is a, Uncut a Gems. number of times. That movie rocked my world. I saw it in a, a theater when it was on a limited run. And then it, it affected me so much that I suggested to Adam that, you, uh, that we do it on end credits once it came on to Netflix a couple months later. Um, the ending... Uh, I won't give it away. <laughs> is not it, I'd say it's not surprising, given everything that comes before in the movie. But it is shocking, and it's so well well executed. Um, the Safdie brothers, I thought their direction just masterful, just pure tension the whole time, from the opening bit um, where you're kind of displaced, where there's this diamond. There, they're mining diamonds, and then there's this colonoscopy going on. You're like, what's going on? And then you're right fully immersed in the world of Howard Gratner um, in the Diamond District in New York. And I thought Adam Sandler's performance is one of the best performances I've seen in my life. I thought he was just amazing. And uh, amazing is Howard Gratner, who just keeps on making wrong decisions, even when it puts himself, his loved ones, his family... I distinguish between loved ones and family, and you'll know when you see the movies. Um, uh, it keeps putting them in more and more danger. And I thought the cast of supporting characters was great, too. Like Keith Stanfield as sort of a go-between that helps Howard uh, sell, sell his bling to celebrities. Julia Fox as Howard's mistress is great as well. And I thought Kevin Garnett uh, plays himself better than anyone has ever played themselves. So, and then the weekend plays himself 
not quite as good as Kevin Garnett plays himself, but he's he's pretty good too. So the weekend is this up and coming Toronto star because it's a period piece. It's supposed to take place, I think, two thousand eight. Um, so they're saying, oh, there's this new guy, the weekend from Toronto, and that's kind of cool as well. And then Eric Bogosian, who as the brother-in-law, uh, thought he was just great. He was in this awesome movie in the eighties that. Oliver Stone did called Talk Radio, and I definitely recommend it. And it's based on his own one-person play, I believe. And in this, as as the brother-in-law of Howard, and also like his loan shark at the same time, just the conflicting emotions. <laughs> he wants to protect Howard, but he also wants to punish him for not paying gambling debts. And it's really interesting to see. Uh, it's still on Netflix for anybody who wants to see it. Um, I think they might have changed a couple things in the Netflix version. Um, for one thing, in the theatrical version, there's a scene where that 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 crazy guy, the crazy awkward guy at the end um, in the casino, um, the guy who approaches Julia Fox character. He's uh, uh, there's a scene uh, in the in the theatrical version where he's on a helicopter with her and he's really talking her up. And they might have cut that from the Netflix version, but. Regardless, if you don't know that, um, enjoy the film. <laughs> That's just me nitpicking, but I thought maybe the Netflix might have lost a couple things from the theatrical. But if you don't know anything going in, it's still going to wallop you in the face. And I think it's a it's a great movie. So that's my number one. Uh, well, that's um, along with the uncut gems. I just want to say it was uh, one of the ones stolen for me because I love Adam Sandler. I wanted to do it, but I'm, I'm glad that it was done. And I'm just, I remember it was the same with the Merowith stories. I had brought it up, but then I ended up again, like midterms or something. I just couldn't do it. So I'm having all these Sandler stolen from me, but I'm glad that it was, uh, I'm glad it was brought on the list. And also I just wanted to add, I thought Judd Hirsch, it was just a brief performance, but he was great in it. And I love the Hirsch man. So it was, it was nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that it was number one. I'm glad it was brought up. That that's, that's one thing. Number two, uh, to borrow another Peter Wesley Salmon phrase, uh, Tim Phillips stole my pick for number one because my number one pick was Uncut Gems as well. And so just ditto to everything Tim said. And I'm glad you mentioned at the end Eric Bogosian because that thousand-yard stare by Eric Bogosian in that scene in the end when Adam Sandler's watching the basketball game and Eric Bogosian is watching Adam Sandler, that is some... I mean, that's almost as deeply unsettling as anything you will see in Midsommar. And that is really saying something. Uh, so I'll have to leave that there. We are, are rapidly running out of time. It is the end of the show. And uh, we hope you liked it. And we hope you stick around for the next 200 episodes. Yes. I'm just looking at the faces to make sure everyone understands. They've, <laughs> they've, signed, oh, yeah. a four, they've signed a 400 episode contract. <laughs> what is this marvel yes it is uh everything i learned in life i learned from kevin feige well number one uh peter was nowhere when hobie halloween came out so that's the end of the show we hope you liked it as always you can uh find it again on our website endcreditsradioshow.com download it from the guelph politicast channel every friday at podbean get it through your favorite podcast app at apple Podcasts, stitcher google play and spotify and when you're on spotify you can find the music you hear on end credits just search for end credits on cfru in your spotify app 
We're on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And gang, let's go around the virtual room, starting with Tim. Where can people find you on the internet? On the interwebs, you can find me flashing the deadpan on uh, all the social medias. And Candace? I am Sin48, C-I-N-N-4-8 on everything, everywhere, like City TV. <laughs> and PWS, where can people find you? Uh, as Mr. Tarak on YouTube and Twitter, and then on the old TikTok, uh, Peter Weston Samus. It's my full name. I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. Stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back with episode number 201 next week on End Credits, and we will see you then.